Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. We are coming up to the beginning of the 16 days of activism against gender-based violence, uh, violence against women and children, which starts on Friday. And having read a couple of articles in this week's Sunday Times, um, I was keen to interview the journalist, uh, Jill Gifford, who is a senior journalist at the Sunday Times, has worked as news editor at Healthy News and in senior reporting positions at ENCA, SABC, Newsroom Africa and The Star. Jill was a crime reporter for many years and won awards for her coverage of the Lee Matthews murder case and the shooting of South Africa's youngest crime victim, Courtney Ellerbeck, who was hit while she was still in the womb when her mom was hijacked while pregnant. Jill, welcome to the IRR show. Hi, Sarah. Thank you. Jill, um, looking at gender-based violence, um, we are looking at, and we will go into the details of the, men, the many issues that have that. that influenced and affected, but what's really sort of been put out in the news is the fact that legislation that was drafted at the beginning of the year is finally coming into effect in the near future, and part of that legislation is is an amendment to the Domestic Violence Act, the Domestic Violence Amendment Act, um, which seeks to toughen procedures around protection orders. Could you give us an idea of what a protection order is, what it's supposed to do, and how how it's been amended? Okay. Um, yeah, this was, was quite a difficult one to get my head around. I had to speak to so many people. So basically how a protection order works is a woman who's been abused or is feeling threatened or whatever can go to the police station, lay a charge of assault against the person who's um, violating her. Then she gets a form which she takes to court and asks for a protection order. That protection order um, is then has to be served by her and the police on the offender, basically telling him that he may not have contact with her, he's not to assault her, not, you know, all of that. And what it does, it, it comes with a suspended warrant which means that if he violates the, the, the order and he, for example, comes back and harasses her or um, assaults her, he automatically gets arrested and taken into custody. So very often that that, that warrant is not um, enacted, it's, but it's, it's, it's suspended. How the law works at the moment is that only the offender, I mean, sorry, only the victim mm-hmm. can have it enacted. And speaking to uh, advocate Praise Kambule, who's driving mm-hmm. Pillar 3 of the National Strategic Plan, which is the, the um, pillar that deals with domestic violence and uh, gender-based violence, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. She said what, what they've done is they've recognized that, that domestic violence is different to other crimes in the sense Mm. that there is a a relationship between victim and offender. It's not like someone who steals your car or robs Mm. you in your home that you don't know. There is a relationship and that causes often a lot of conflict. Mm. And um, so so 
they they have been looking for ways to to change the law that to make it the, the, the protection order situation involve the the woman or the victim as little as possible, mm-hmm. so that it's not up to her that that people can step in, act on her behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was speaking to. Um, Karina Kutsia, who's a, a public prosecutor who deals a lot with protection orders and, and women who are abused and assaulted. And my question to her was, um, well, a protection, what is the value of a protection mm. order? I mean, surely if a person is going to assault or abuse another person, serving them with a piece of paper that says you may not is... is mm. What, what value is that? And she, she laughed and she said to me, yes, it's like it's like an armed robber saying, oh, my goodness, now I can't rob a bank because I don't have a, a, a license to carry a firearm. <laughs> so she explained the value of a protection order to me in the, in the sense that um, uh, the, the protection order is made and it gives the woman a, a sense of power in the sense that she can have him arrested quickly. She um, can have it enacted. Now, the law, uh, the, 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 the amendment, now goes further than saying not only the victim can have it enacted, mm. any other interested party can. And this is to, to, to cover scenarios in which either the victim could be unconscious mm-hmm. or in hospital and unable to enact it, or where she's too scared, mm-hmm. um, or where family's involved, she's intimidated, she feels like she can't. Mm-hmm. So, um, for example, if if she was your friend and she comes to your house and says, I need a place to stay, please, can I just um, bunk here for a while? And you say yes, and all of a sudden the offender arrives at your house and starts banging mm-hmm. on the door. You are then an interested party. You can mm-hmm. have that that warrant executed. Mm-hmm. If you as a, a social worker are aware of it, you can have it enacted. Mm. Um, what, what it also does is it goes further in the sense that it puts an obligation on the public at large, mm. on so many more people. If you're aware or even if you suspect domestic violence, mm. you are obligated to report it. So if you live in a flat or a townhouse and every so often you hear noises next door um, that sound like assault, mm. um, whether or not you've seen these people in your life before doesn't matter. Mm. You are obligated to report it. If you don't and somewhere down the line someone gets badly hurt, the case gets investigated, and they find, well, this has been going on for a while. And, they, you know, there must have been several people around about that have been listening to this or hearing this. And they've done nothing. That, under the law, becomes a punishable offense. Mm-hmm. If you as a teacher are aware of, of a child being abused, that, and you don't do anything about it, mm-hmm. that becomes an offense. Mm-hmm. This, the thing that worries me, and it comes back to your discussion with the prosecutor, is is the enforcement. I mean, my my understanding is the enforcement is always 
a problem with the, often with the police and is, isn't likely to change. And that has nothing to do with the law and nothing to do with the victims, but mm. everything to do with attitudes, um, competence, all the things that we complain of in every se- in every criminal aspect that we have to deal with in our lives. And there, I, I do understand that there will be further training for the police, but I, I'm, I'm, I am skeptical that you know, this will make as much difference as it should for that reason alone. I don't know what, mm-hmm. what your feeling is from your, from your research. Um, well, what was explained to me is that, that our laws are great on paper. They're mm-hmm. fantastic. It's, you're right. It comes down to the implementation. It comes down to the enactment of that. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what was, um, the prosecutor, um, one, one of the laws that has changed and is starting to have an effect is the tightening of bail. Mm-hmm. So what happened in the past was if, if somebody assaulted somebody on a Saturday afternoon and she went to the police station, they could go, they could arrest the um, abuser or the offender, put him in custody. He could apply for police bail and be out within a couple hours back on the street. Mm. Now, now the, 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 the um, amended law says no. He's, he may not be released on police bail. He may not even be released on prosecutor bail. Mm. He has to go to court and appear before a magistrate mm. where the he then has to give his side of the case. And um, if he misrepresents the situation or lies mm. and manages to get bail and it, it comes out that there's been any kind of lie or misrepresentation, mm. he'd be arrested immediately and put in jail until the case is resolved, until the entire case has gone through, through court, trial, everything. So there's a lot more, it's, it's a lot more difficult for offenders to just pay a bribe or to um, get, you know, walk, walk out, walk out free or mm, get prosecuted mm. bail. So it's, it's a lot more difficult now. And what, what Karina said that, that made a lot of sense was that is, is having another benefit in the sense that by removing him from a situation, you are breaking the unhealthy bond between victim and, and mm. abuser. Because she, mm. she, she likened it to Stockholm Syndrome. Here is a woman who is dependent. This person is someone she loves. It's mm. her husband, father of her children, her boyfriend, um, po- possibly the person who provides for her. Mm. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so yeah, I was going to yeah, it, it loosens that a bit and makes it okay. more likely to cooperate. Yeah, sorry, just uh, did just to say that um, I think one of the problems has often been with uh, abuse, uh, domestic abuse, domestic violence, is instinctively our response would largely be, "But why doesn't she leave?" And you've highlighted, I think, what are very important two elements. The one is the emotional, and one cannot. You know, the emotional is, is very good, difficult to expand on, to define, uh, to, to associate with. And the other is the pure economic reliance. And mm. I think that's, that's probably an, an enormous trap because very often uh, women who face this situation, if they leave that environment, they don't have the skills or the contacts or whatever it is to actually gain employment or it's, it's very slow because they, mm. it may take them a long time. 
that I think is, is, is as I say, and again, your comment will be interesting, is is something that society is gen, in general doesn't doesn't appreciate the seriousness of. Yeah, and there's a lot of other factors as well. There's this stigma, there's humiliation, there's mm. family involvement. Possibly she can leave, but where does she go? Does she go mm. to her family? How do they? How does the family feel? Um, uh, a while ago, I did a story on protection orders where um, I actually went to court. It was during COVID, so the women had to queue outside court and go in one at a time. So I had a lot of time to speak to them, waiting. Um, and some of them, you could see the absolute humiliation. Mm. They were like, this is not who I am. I'm not mm. the type of person that sits at court, you know, um, because somebody's coming to my door every night, mm. demanding money, wanting to come in, treating me badly. You know, just I think to even admit it to themselves is hard. Mm. Let alone to take it to court and stand up in court and say, this is happening to me. Mm. So, yeah, that's very difficult. Mm. And um, then, of course, there's involvement yeah. of children, of mm. all kinds of complications. Mm. And, and, of course, you can't, you can't protect your children all, 24 hours a day. Um, yeah. And it is their father after all. Yes. Um, cause I, I was just looking at, I think there was, uh, you know, in, in the sort of, in the same, uh, in the same breadth on the same page, there were examples of women or children who had been, who had been murdered by their abusive partner or, or, or husband, mm. despite being in possession of a protection order. Yes. And, and, and this is, yeah. and this is the problem is, is the, the sense that Unless something within the new laws can can be done to make a difference, as you said earlier, it is essentially sort of trying to fight with a piece of paper, and it's not a oh. South African phenomenon. It's it, it's it's a problem worldwide. Exactly, and that that's that's why the law is taking so long to 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 be signed and um, put into action because they have to train the police. They have to train social workers. They have to put out, put it out to all sectors. I mean, people need to know about it in order to enact it. You need to know that you have the right to enact a protection order on behalf of somebody else. So that, that's, that's what they said to me that the delay is, is getting it mm. out there, getting train, training done. They've got to train lawyers, advocates, policemen, social workers, teachers, so many people. So that's why it's taking time. Mm. Um, I, I saw from one of the examples the uh, the, the woman in, the woman concerned. She said, and I quote: "The four protection orders didn't protect me." Now, mm. surely you only need one protection order if it's if it's violated. The the justice system must must swing into effect, and the perpetrator must be arrested. And, uh, he'd either have to apply for bail successfully or not. So in other words, if you, you have a magistrate issuing a protection order, another one, another one, another one, and the actual protection order is, has, has not been enforced. Mm. And it's from what, from what I understand from what you're saying is both the extra layers of protection, who may, who may be involved, and the fact you actually have to act on the infringement 
means that the magistrates do have to be trained. They have to look at, is there a protection mm-hmm. order? In which case, they must take it from there. They mustn't issue another protection order and another protection order because that really is like, you know, sort of dishing out uh, par- uh, parking, fi- you know, parking fines. Yeah. I think that, that there's a lot of frustrations on all sides. I mean, I think that the frustration of the court is very often the protection order is issued and then the woman backs down and withdraws mm. it. And then she mm. goes and gets another one. Mm. And then she withdraws it. So um, there's that. But the, the other thing that the, that the um, new, the amended law does is it puts um, even a, a heavier obligation on the police to keep the woman safe. So a magistrate is then entitled to say that he wants um, surveillance on the victim, mm. which means that the police are then obligated to check in with her without the knowledge of the offender. Mm, mm. It can be done electronically. It can be done in whatever way the magistrate deems. But whether it's a WhatsApp or something every day, they have to check in with her. Are you okay? How are you feeling? So so that, that's, that's another sort of leg mm. <laughs> in her favor. So, mm. that they, so that there's less of a chance of, uh, and also because a woman is generally hesitant to mm. actually um, warrant if someone else can do it quicker for her because mm. a lot of some of the cases where the women have been shot or whatever she's left it too late mm. she's always like give him another chance you know he mm. won't do it mm. um and then it's too late uh, but it, so it strikes me with all the sort of emotional and reliance complexities that from the from from Police's point of view, from the justice system's point of view, essentially that a protection order once issued then should then be putting the matter in the hands of the justice system, much the same way hmm. as you'd lay a complaint of assault at a, at a police station and the police are then, you know, it's their case. It ceases to be the, 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 uh, the, 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 um, sorry, the victim's case. Um, yeah. My sense would be that that is really what it's trying more to do. In other words, uh, crime is crime irrespective of who perpetrates it. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Jill, the the last thing I wanted to really chat to you about was not it was to get away from the the regulations and the rules and uh, the crimes is perhaps to go back to first uh, to basics. to first principles, and that is that South Africa does have a very, very high rate of gender-based violence, as we do violent crime in general. So it's all part of a terribly unfortunate pattern. To what extent are we really looking at the fact that too many men are still brought up as as, as children in a very hierarchical, possibly misogynistic um, environment where they learn that women are second-class citizens and that, that we actually need to start dealing with that at young, much younger ages and attitudes can only be changed if you can deal with a child who is, um, uh, deal with a child, persuade a child otherwise. Uh, once I get to adulthood, it's too late. Uh, am I on the right track or yeah, is there something yeah, else we should be doing? What, that's what um, Advocate Kambula was explaining to me. She said, the difficulty in policing GBV and domestic mm. violence is that people say it's a family matter. 
Mm. It, it doesn't involve anyone else, you know. And she said, okay, let's recognize it. Let's say it's a family matter. Well, we'll make a we'll make an offense out of that. Mm. Mm. And and she, she says, nobody is born an abuser. Mm. Nobody is born with the attitude that they have the right to to violate another person. It's learned behavior. Mm. So mm. she's saying that, that 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 the law is trying to expand to, to to take into account all of these things. So one of the things that that they have done is they've they've now they are now recognizing um, exposure of children to violence mm. as an offense. So because um, they're saying that children that that are, that are exposed to, to to violence are first of all traumatized, and then second of all they very often it becomes learned behavior for them. Mm, and that's how mm. people are and, you know, they'll grow up. So they're saying it's a societal problem. Problem, And I think that's why they're they're making it easy for anyone mm. that suspects this is happening, particularly mm. on, this, on the side of a child. What, what, what they, they're doing now is that they're saying when, when a child is exposed to violence, they should have the same rights in law as an adult. So anyone from an NGO or a teacher, or a social worker, or anyone that 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 suspects that a child is being exposed to violence, can step in mm. and mm. and lay a charge, or 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 lay a complaint, or report it, and that child is automatically then protected in law. Mm. Um, so it gives them more rights, and that they can go through the system without mm. ever being exposed to a court because now mm. you can lay a complaint or, or report the matter. You don't have to go to a police station to do it. Mm. You can do it online. You can do it from a oh, okay. place. No. Um, and I, I, I would suggest, and I, I'm not sure if we've, if it's certainly publicly been explored to the extent that perhaps it needs to be explored is the fact that even if, if, even if, little boys are not exposed to violence, they are exposed to often a hierarchy of church leaders, uh, uncles, cousins, uh, uh, traditional leaders who who have a, let's call it what you and I would call a very old-fashioned attitude to the value of women. And I've seen it when I got involved in school discipline that particularly when boys hit the age of about 14 or 15, when they are suddenly, they're, they're, they're in puberty, but they have been led to believe that they are now men and, and they start disre- disrespecting their mothers hugely. That if we really want to grips with it, we've got to get, we've, we've got to have discussions with and have serious debates with elements of society that have, a, that are, that are patriarchal and the society is full of them. Mm. That's definitely, um, a problem. But another interesting thing that, that, that I came across with one of the NGOs, the social worker that I was speaking to, she does a lot of, um, awareness and that kind of um, training in, in mm-hmm. um, Alexandra and in township areas with, with those communities. And she was saying once they really started to put out, you know, educate on domestic violence and say this is what it is, this is why it's wrong, this is how it works, she said all of a sudden they had quite a few men coming forward and mm-hmm. saying, well, it's happening in my home, but it's, I'm not the abuser. I'm the victim. Mm, and, mm. and she said, um, what, what, what is good about the new legislation is that they can, you can, um, apply for a protection order or lay a charge. You don't, without going into the police station, because apparently mm. these men mm. are, I mean, already 
humiliated um, by, by being abused in their home and now to mm. go and report it to a police at a police station is, is mm. doubly difficult for them. Mm. So that, that that was interesting to me because I, I didn't realize, you know, that, that, that mm. it's happening the other way as well. Yeah, and I think that that answers a, a listener's question, um, Taryn Sacha, who who asks exactly the question of whether it can be provided to to men or not, and uh, it is the the the, the societal the, the shame would be would be a huge matter for them. Um, Jill, thank you very very much for coming on. Um, I, I think it was nice to get ahead of the. Uh, of of the the sixteen days and and start talking about the matter sooner rather than later and hopefully, you know every little bit will help and being a bit punchier yeah. from a legal point of view is I don't think is a problem at all. No, not at all. I think it's a very good thing. Thank you, and um, um, I will keep uh, I will keep reading you and see if we can get you <laughs> on again <laughs> on a similar <laughs> or unrelated topic. Thanks, Sarah. Have a good day. Right. Um, there we, there we have that. And I think it's, it's terribly important because it's just one of those issues that, that cannot be got to grips with, if I, uh, if I can put it that way. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a problem everywhere. It's just a matter of how big a problem is it. And as with everything we do in South Africa, every problem is a, a big one. Not to mention the following big problem, and that is that the, Tsepo uh, Mahanuke, the Johannesburg Roads Agency CEO, has been placed on special leave pending reauthentication of his credentials. Um, and now the, the, the Daily Maverick sort of wrote a huge thing on this. And uh, the, the gentleman concerned is 34 years old, which... Uh, I don't want to be ageist or anything, but that's fairly young for having the experience and knowledge necessary to run something as crucial as the Johannesburg Roads Agency. And he, he's questionable for qualifications relate to credentials that he provided to land what they call his 3.5 million rand a year job. Were, were his credentials either lied about or overstated? And this is what the issues in, include. Um, in December 2019, he received a, quote, honorary docu- doctorate, my quotes, from the Trinity International University of um, Ambassadors. Now, wow. The, and apparently it does exist, but it is a poorly ranked evangelical Christian university in the United States and can be bought for a small quote, support honorarium, close quote. Um, he also has a master's degree in competitive intelligence from Harvard Business School, which isn't really Harvard Business School. It's a separate college and an undergraduate degree from the Vald University of Technology. So let's have a look at the uh, re-inquiry into the credentials of the head of the CEO, uh, head of the JRA. This is the IRR show and I'm Saragon.